Welcome back to the Sporting Max Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Becker's Facilities. High pressure washing, facility maintenance, builders clean and commercial sanitization. They do it all. Check them out at beckersfacilities.com.au. Here's your host, Max Becker. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting Max, where today we're joined by former Geelong Supercats 350 gamer Nathan Herbert. Welcome, Nathan. Thanks, Max. Thanks for having me today, mate. Thanks for coming on. Um, so, Nathan, can you tell us about your childhood years and what it was like growing up for you? Yeah, so I, uh, I'm, I'm Geelong, born and bred, been here uh, pretty much my whole life, except for a few years when I was in Adelaide. Um, grew up um, in Hearn Hill and, uh, you know, um, played basketball. I suppose played all sports from an early age, as most kids do, um, but was never one that went. Uh, so played, you know, football, basketball, a bit of cricket, but I was horrible at cricket. But um, basketball was always something that I really enjoyed, but it was something that I didn't really, uh, a lot of kids at my age, and I know now we're doing all the extra representative teams and, and going on all these camps and state teams and stuff, but it wasn't something that really interested me at the time. So I sort of just played it just for enjoyment, played it because I enjoyed uh, playing with mates, um, same with football. Um, so I did that at, at a young age and then, um, yeah, eventually got into, um, so from a sporting side of things, when, with football and played some uh, pre-seasons with the Falcons um, and did that as uh, under 18. Never like played a season or anything, but just did some training with those guys and then um, was playing basketball at the same time and ended up having to choose. So I went down the path of basketball, but I, yeah, I didn't do any of the, the extra stuff that I suppose a lot of kids uh, were doing and are doing now, but um, certainly was around sport from a young age. I understand that your dad played 102 NBL games for the Supercats throughout yep. your childhood too. Um, did you have any pressure on yourself growing up as a kid or put any pressure on yourself? Well, I didn't. No, I didn't. And dad certainly didn't either. I, I know, um, like he was, yeah, he was big in basketball and then we were around basketball from a young age. But um, it was something mum and dad always uh, were never forceful of and, and never pushed. And dad was always one that said, um, you know, if, if you want to go out and you know, play basketball or shoot, you know, I'll rebound for you and throw it to you, but I'm not going to force you to go out and do it. So it was more of an enjoyment thing for me and, and it pushed me to, um, to work harder when I wanted to, which I think maybe some kids now maybe um, aren't you know, 100% into it, but are sort of encouraged along the way. And maybe it, it's something that burns them out later on. But um, for me, it was fun and, and I certainly didn't feel any pressure. Um, Mum and dad never, certainly there was never any pressure at home to do it. But um, I'm sure look, people maybe looked at dad and thought he was around basketball. Maybe I'd eventually get that way. But, um, but yeah, it was purely a love of basketball for myself. What did you have to do or go through in order to make it to the Supercats um, in the Siebel in 2002? So I, so really only 2002, I was in year 12. Um, so year 11 before that, I... Uh, played one year of top age under 18 basketball for Geelong. Um, and that was the only representative basketball I did beforehand. And then with the Supercats, was, it was really opportunity. And it was about trying, um, you know, just training with them early on. Yeah. Um, I'd been around the club and around players for a long time, but really just getting out there and training. And I think, um, unfortunately, a lot of people nowadays just expect, you know, when you go into teams that you're just going to all of a sudden be in the starting five or, you know, playing the, all the minutes on the, on the footy, uh, footy oval. But, you know, it certainly didn't happen that way and you, you had to take your time and you had to play behind you know the more veteran players and um, you know work hard at training 
um, do all those little things that, um, that everyone talks about. And then eventually, as those people got older, um, I, I gradually started to play a bit more. But it was really just taking your opportunities and I think um, and working hard in those times that you got. Can you tell us about your training schedule with the Supercats and how sort of like how that, that has evolved over the years? Absolutely. So we, um, we always trained a fair bit down the Supercats. I think we, you know, for a team that it's certainly not a job for us, like there's, we do have import players that come from, uh, from America or overseas, but all the local contingency um, were doing it as for fun. So it wasn't a, a job. It certainly wasn't a paid job, but we were uh, there three nights a week. So we were there Monday, Wednesday, Thursday. So from, you know, say, 7 to 9.30, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then most weekends we were playing uh, two games. And so those games could be either in Melbourne, um, which would be the closest. But we did travel, say, to Mount Gambier, um, Albury, Canberra, Brisbane, um, down to Tassie. So there was a lot of travel involved as well. Yeah. Um, but the trainings themselves were, yeah, three nights. Uh, initially, one of them was optional, and then it became a bit more compulsory. Um, and we always did that. I think a few of the other teams just did two nights a week. Um, but we always did that. And then you also, on top of that, had um, your Tuesday night basketball, which was your Division One uh, local um, competition where I played for YMCA. So you had that. So it was pretty much four nights a week uh, plus games. So it was pretty, pretty full on early on. You won the conference championships in 2005, your first pro title with the Supercats. Can you tell us about what your first title feels like and what was the team's mindset going into that um, championship game? Yeah, um, you certainly, yeah, you remember the early on the wins, definitely. Um, I think our mindset was just to score more than the other team. We didn't um, necessarily play the, the best form of uh, basketball for a purist. We didn't play... A lot of defense. We uh, we played a zone most of the time, and all our aim was was to score more than the other team, and we managed to do that on a fair few occasions. I mean, we had a game when when we won. You know, teams were maybe scoring a hundred points a game. We were scoring. We had a game when we won a game, a hundred and I think it was one hundred and fifty to one hundred and twelve. So the team, you know, the other team obviously scored far too many points, but we just managed to score you know thirty eight more of them. So. Um, yeah, we were we were confident that we could score as a team, uh, and we didn't really need too much defense. That changed over the years, um, but uh, but it was certainly fun. I think those things are the, the times you look back with those guys that you made uh, mates with over the years. So guys like Nick Awusu and Jamie Medved who have been there, uh, yeah, as long as myself. Um, yeah, fun times with those guys. In two thousand six, you won the conference championship as well as the national championship. Can you tell us what you had to do? to do as a team and as a player to achieve that like to yeah absolutely yeah i guess just from winning it the year before from winning the conference um, final the year before and then obviously going to the nationals was a, a different step and it was away it was up in newcastle and it was the same core group of players that we had for for a while there at the team um and we had some talented players we had some um you know good imports at the time but um i guess it was just we were mates you know we're we're not necessarily some teams that we played against would, would get players from all over uh, Victoria, Australia, Melbourne, everyone would come in. We were, majority of the team was uh, Geelong uh, based. So we had early on a plan to have at least 70% of the team was to be from Geelong. And unfortunately, it changed a little bit down the track where, um, you know, it wasn't as, as um, I suppose that 70% wasn't kept all the way through, but we tried early on to keep that. And then a lot of the guys ended up coming down and playing and staying down with family. So maybe they weren't from Geelong initially, but they moved down. So 
I think the best thing for us was just um, we had fun and we were mates. You know, we, we played for each other and we played, um, you know, a good, a good brand of basketball. It was an enjoyable brand of basketball. As I said, it was high-tempo stuff. But um, probably the fact that, yeah, we were all local and, and, um, and playing with our mates was important. In 2007, you also won the conference championship. What confidence does it give you as a player and a team when your team starts to get on a roll like that? Yeah, I think you become confident. You certainly do. It, it, it being able to win it the year before, and, and we played Canberra, who was a team we played. I could be totally wrong, but I think maybe three of those times, or at least two of those times. And I suppose you get confidence over certain teams. Um, we, yeah, we, we were confident in our abilities to win games, and I think um, the more you win, um, the more when you get into situations where you might be behind or you might be, you know, close towards the end of the game, you're confident and you know what it's going to take to win those games. Um, and once again, we had, as I said, we had some great players at the time as well um, that could close games out for us. So I think it was just a mentality that, um, that we'd been there before. So confident we could do it again. Uh, you made your NBL debut um, for the new second year team in the South Dragons in October yep. two, 2007. Well How done. did you land your spot with the Dragons? And can you tell us about the week in the lead up to that debut? Absolutely. Uh, well done. You remember all these good dates. Um, I, I remember it because, well, I remember in terms of playing, uh, I was a bit different once again to other people. I was about 24 years old when I first started playing. So I'd done, you know, I'm a, I'm a nurse at Geelong Hospital. I'd worked, I'd done three years at uni. I'd worked for a year full time. Oh, sorry, for 18 months full time. Um, you know, been playing basketball for Geelong for six years or so by then. So I was a little different to these younger kids coming into it. So I was willing to take an opportunity. I was still living at home. So the first uh, contract was so small. It was enough just to pay petrol to drive up and down to Melbourne. But um, once again, I think given those opportunities, you just got to take them. And um, I remember, yeah, training up Shane Hill was a coach at the time, just going up there one, um, you know, to the tryouts and then training through that with them. And then eventually what happened was... um, uh, in the lead up to the, I played the first game. Imports Cortez Groves got injured, um, and so he got a poke in the eye, and so um, he couldn't play. Or it might have been ab- abdominals. Anyway, he couldn't play. He couldn't go to Adelaide. So I played a few games leading up to that, but this was the first game I suppose I was really contracted to July uh, to um, South Dragons, and we went across to Adelaide. And I remember walking in. I was at the Geelong Basketball Club and um, getting a phone call to say that yeah, they they were taking me to Adelaide, and. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was just right place at right time, which, you know, happens for a lot of people. Um, and you just got to be ready to take that opportunity. You know, you got to wait and do your time and you know, train and do everything. I was still obviously working as hard at the training track as everybody else. And, um, but you just got to, yeah, when those opportunities come up. Um, but it was certainly, uh, yeah, a very exciting time um, you know, for myself, but also for mum and dad. You know, they've been supporting me the whole time. So they were certainly just as, as excited about it. A few years later, in March 2009 of the 0809 season, you won your first title with the South Dragons in the NBL. How does it feel when your hard work as a player has paid off and you win that title? Yeah, I think that was that's certainly the highlight, the pinnacle for myself. I think um, if anyone, um, where you know, Brian Gorgian has come back and coaching this year again, but you know, one yeah. of the best coaches in sport. Um, but a ruthless, hard coach. And I mean, that's, you know, some players enjoy that. And I, I love the fact that um, how hard it was. Our trainings, our pre-seasons were as hard as they'd been. Um, and we, once again, we had some great players, but so did the Tigers we played that year. Um, 
I think the mentality in that year was that we just knew we had worked harder. I think any team that has played under a guy like Gorge or, you know, certainly in football, there's the same sort of coaches. Um, we just knew that we had done more work than anyone else. We trained harder. We knew that no one was doing as much as we were. So confidence. And, uh, and we sort of just, we just had the, the, the mindset that, um, you know, we'd worked harder and, and that was a, a good boost for us, definitely. How did you celebrate that 08-09 championship with the Dragons? Uh, quietly. We didn't, uh, we didn't get up to too much, <laughs> too much mischief. No, we, look, we celebrated certainly pretty hard. We, um, I was living with Adam Gibson up in Melbourne at the time, um, just a few nights a week, maybe three or four nights a week. I was up there and I was back home here. So we, um, yeah, we, we certainly had a, a fair few, uh, few good celebration drinks afterwards. But um, unfortunately, after we... We did it and uh, celebrated all. We turned to training then the following year to play again, and um, we were out of the league, and uh, so that was a bit yeah. of a shame. But we certainly, yeah, the time we were there, we um, we certainly managed to celebrate it nice and hard. What was it like to live with Gibbo? Oh, Gibbo. Well, we didn't look. I, when I say I lived there, we we I was in and out of the house. Uh, Joey played. Joe Ingles was there at the time, so he yeah. was around a little bit. Uh, Look, it was for myself. It was hard. I was in a different stage. I was still, you know, trying to to work, and uh, my um, girlfriend at the time, partner at the time, Sally, was still at home. So, really, I was I was staying there. I was using it as a place to stay. And Gibbo was, you know, nice enough to have me there. So we didn't uh, get up to too much. Uh, I don't have too many stories about him, but um, <laughs> but he looked after me. He gave me an opportunity to stay up there and, and save the weary legs from the uh, the driving up and down the highway, which was nice. Oh, you mentioned Joe Ingles. What was it like to play alongside him um, as he was only a kid back then? He was a kid back then, yeah. He was, um, <laughs> he was young. I was much older. But, um, look, Joe was – he certainly matured a lot more since then. He was, he was a young, um, uh, confident player um, coming out of the AIS. And, um, you know, he certainly was you know, an amazing player at the time. But um, you know, we, we caught up. We had our 10-year reunion um, – only last year, um, so organised a ten-year reunion, which was fun. And uh, yeah, look, he was he was he was a great player. He really was back then. You could tell he was going to be something special. Um, to be honest, I didn't think he was going to get to the NBA, but he certainly once again did his time over in Europe, and he and he worked hard and um, yeah, developed his game, and he's doing fantastic things. He's yeah, he's great to watch, and um, yeah, it was it was good catching up with him uh, last year. When the Dragons folded after that um, 08-09 championship, what was your mindset on possibly coming back to the NBL? Yeah, I think um, after winning, you, you had this taste to, to keep playing. I'd only been doing it for two years and um, it was something I really enjoyed and wanted to keep doing. So, um, you know, Melbourne at the time had sort of a full roster and, and Adelaide was an opportunity to go across there with another guy, Matt Burston, that I played with at... at um, uh, at the South Dragons. So we went across there and played in that year. Um, and, yeah, look, it was disappointing that we couldn't continue and play again and sort of um, defend, you know, what we'd, what we'd won and, and, you know, enjoyed that, I suppose, from a club point too, the ability to um, for the supporters for the following year to, to come back and to support a team that's just won. Um, but that's the way it happened. And, yeah, Adelaide was, was great. It was a great opportunity. But, um, my um, well, wife now, but um, Sally was back here um, in Geelong, so it was a little bit different doing the, the long distance stuff. So uh, yeah, but it was it was great. It was a great opportunity. In 
that first season you played with the 36ers, it was a career-best season for you. You averaged eight points, two boards and an assist. In 27 of uh, games of that season, how did playing with Adelaide benefit your game and do you think that you fit um, or gelled with their team better? Yeah, I think just, a, I suppose, a different role coming from where we where I was playing and I suppose the team that I was playing on with the, the calibre of players, I still played a fair few minutes for Dragons, but the roles were different. And I think the, the structure that um, we played with at, at, um, at the South Dragons was very, um, well, it was, it was a structured sort of offence and that suited me. I'm not sort of a player that can, you know, get a basketball and come off an on-ball and break someone down off the dribble. I'm, I'm very much a you know, come off screen, set up, spot shooter, yeah. defend, play hard, that sort of offense. And that, that worked for me. And then in Adelaide, was just it was different. It was a different sort of gameplay. Um, but it got a, a bit more of an opportunity, I suppose, to shoot the ball and to, um, to score. But, um, yeah, if I had to choose a style, I guess, I'm as I said, I like the, the more structured. I do like that sort of offense where there's offenses and the cutting and the um, screening and, and those things rather than just the free open play. It probably suits me a little bit better. In that NBL offseason in 2010, um, yourself and the Supercats won the National and Conference Championships again. Yep. Do you think you appreciated this set of titles more than the first set as you were more experienced in basketball? To be honest, I don't think I did. I think it was – I found it harder because for the time I was in Adelaide um, – uh, so Adelaide – so the seasons ran sort of, uh, I don't know, like August through until February or so. I was, um, it was, there was a crossover between that and the Supercat season. And the end of the, the Supercat season, which was coming into the finals, probably the last six to eight weeks of that season, going, you know, finals and included. Yeah. I was flying back and forth. So I'd fly back from, I'd be in Adelaide um, from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then Thursday night, I'd fly back to Geelong and I'd play Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. And then Sunday night, I'd fly back to Adelaide again. And so I was doing that for about eight weeks in a row. I think, um, and, and at the same time, trying to fit in trainings if I was home early with the Supercats. And I think I just got a bit, little bit burnt out with it. Um, and so it was a bit of a juggle that um, while I was trying to, you know, obviously win the championship with, with the Supercats, um, you also had the, uh, the pre-season of the NBL on the other side of it. So it was hard to really decipher what we were building up for. So it was, it was amazing. It was fantastic to win and great memories. It was, it was harder than, I suppose, the first one. First one, I had nothing else except that. Um, and so, yeah, it was a, a different feel to it. But it was still, you know, great nonetheless. Uh, you signed with the 36ers for the next two seasons, 10 and 11 and 11 12. The mm -hmm. first in which you tore your ACL. Um, yep. Do you think that this had an impact on your mindset coming back onto the court? Absolutely. Yeah, it did. And I think anyone that says it doesn't um, maybe has a different mind than <laughs> the majority of people. But... <laughs> I think it, look, it does. It's um, initially it, it did. I, I think I was, uh, yeah, so I did it. I did it in the last preseason before the season started. And yeah, I was having a really good preseason, really fit. Um, had been flying back and forth with Geelong. And yeah, it was really ready to go. And it was disappointing. But um, I think early on, you're really positive and you think, oh, I'll, I'll be there and I'll support and I'll be the, you know, the best, you know, supporter of the bench and I'll yell and cheer. Um, but it gets hard. It's hard to do it for that whole time. I suppose the first few months were, you know, it was fresh, it was new. Then uh, come month, you know, three, four, five, six, seven months in, it's um, it's a drain mentally. And I think being over in Adelaide and everyone else was back home here, 
um, made it harder for me as well. So I was, you know, super appreciative. I did the rehab all over in Adelaide um, and they were fantastic. Um, I certainly wouldn't have done the same amount of rehab if I was back here. I would have been um, socially probably catching up with too many people and doing things, you know, uh, maybe that didn't help the knee. So, so that was, yeah, it was, it was hard mentally to come back from that. Um, but I did all the stuff I needed to do and I haven't had any problems since. Um, the other knee's probably given me more trouble than that one. So, um, so it was, yeah, it was mentally, it was hard, but, uh, you certainly got over it after, you know, I suppose 12 months it was okay. You played all 28 games for the 36ers in 11-12, which was your final year in the NBL. Did you want to stay in the league or did you get told to move on by the club? No, I was sort of, it was my my decision. I I potentially could have gone back to Adelaide again. Um, I tried to see if I could maybe get down and play in Melbourne. Um, I suppose at the time, the first year I was in Adelaide, my wife was back here. The second, in between the first and second year, we got engaged. I went back to Adelaide again. All it really wasn't planned. I was always only really going to go for one year. Then between the second and third year, I came back. We got married, um, and I wasn't going to go back again. And then, obviously, coming off a knee injury, there's not a lot of opportunity. So went back again. And so I think the third after the third year was really just I was time. I was sort of you know 28, 29. I had a, a job and a career that I wanted to go back to, and family, and everyone was back here. Um, and look, yeah, I mean, it would have been fantastic to keep going, but. Um, but I enjoyed the time I had. I can play with Geelong for a few more years. And um, yeah, look at hindsight, you look and think, oh, it would have been nice to keep playing. And um, But even playing in Melbourne, I still would have had to move up there, I feel. I'd, you can't you know, commute from Geelong. Yeah. It's it's not um, really professional to be travelling up and down doing that when you're trying to work really hard. So I would have had to move regardless. And it was just you know, hard with the uh, home situation to be moving around. So. In 2012, you decided not to play with the Supercats and um, spent a bit of time tra- travelling around Europe. What impacted your decision to take a break from that season? I think it was, it was very important. I think um, not only for myself, but for my wife. She needed a little break from it as well. Um, but, yeah, it was good. It was good to have a year off, you know, freshen up, um, coming off, you know, doing my knee and then, you know, just the mental. It was, it was hard work getting back into it. Um, and we needed, I wanted to travel. My wife had wanted to travel for a long time and yeah, basketball was, was taking the priority all the time. So it was nice to uh, be able to do something else um, and get over there. We, I would have loved to have gone for longer, but um, you, know, you squeeze everything in that you can. So yeah, um, it was definitely a good, good opportunity to get away. A year later in 2013, you returned to the Supercats. Do you think there was any pressure on you going into the third ga- uh, into the first game of the season or did you put any pressure on yourself? Yeah, I probably did put on myself a little bit. I think the first few years coming back after that, I wasn't the best. I think I was focusing too much on, um, you know, as a shooter, it's very easy to uh, to get into a, a rut and to start missing shots and then start worrying about, oh, I've missed too many shots. And um, yep. I suppose, if, yeah, you, you do. You, you think too much about those things. And as much as everyone says, don't think about it, it's, it's hard not to think about it when you're thinking about it. So, um, yeah, I think the first few years coming back um, was a little bit of adjustment. Um, just from my expectations, um, from, you know, having stopped playing in the NBL. But... Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was, once again, the same team pretty much had been there for the whole time. So it was easy to slot back into those guys, with those guys and, and play basketball again with them. Yeah. 
In 2014, you were named the co-captain of the Super Cats. What does it feel like to take on a leadership role in a basketball team? And what does it feel like for you, especially in like that second season back, coming into that kind of responsibility? Yeah, I mean, I guess I always felt like I was a bit of a leader there. I guess um, in those instances, same as in you know, football when it's voted and, and selected from the, the team itself, um, I guess it just gives you a bit more reinforcement that you know the players there do want to hear your voice and they want to hear what you have to say and they want you to be that that person. So um, while it's all good and well for other people to think, oh, you know, you've been there a long time, it's nice you know, when it's voted for by your the teammates, as happens in a lot of the footy clubs. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I think um, I was older than a lot of the players. I've been around a long time. I think it was a natural progression to be a bit more of a leader, but just be a bit more vocal. Um, I think the difference, rather than um, concentrating on just what I do as a basketball player and in terms of what I was doing each game, um, transitioning to trying to think about what helps other players as well was um, was something I've you know I was learning until I finished. So. Um, and something I, you know, probably could have improved on um, as well. You know, like just looking back. Um, but it, it's hard. Um, yeah, it, it's a hard role. It's a hard role to be um, captain and to to be that person that, um, as I said, has to concentrate on other things rather than just yourself sometimes. In 2015, you played your 300 Seville game, an amazing milestone. What has gotten you to that? What got you to that milestone? I think staying fit. I think. Other than doing the knee, which put me out for a little bit of time, yeah. I mean, over the course of the time, if you keep yourself fit uh, and you keep working hard, you know, the numbers are going to come up in terms of games. But I think the number one thing for me was I enjoyed it. I, you know, still even well up till obviously at the moment you can't do a whole lot. But prior to all this COVID stuff, um, yeah, even just going down to the stadium and shooting is something I enjoy doing. I used to when I had a bit of time and, you know, the kids are asleep or whatever, I'd just go down to the stadium and shoot. It was something I loved to do. A basketball still something I love, even though I'm not playing it. Um, so it was never really a chore, the trainings. Um, and so I think, um, you know, being able to get to the 300 games and I think even all the, the number that I got to was just about enjoyment. And I think it was about playing basketball with a group of mates that you enjoyed playing with. Um, and, yeah, and, and that's the number one thing, I think. Having fun and working hard. Two years later, you played in your 350th game for the Seabull mm-hmm. um, with the Wildcats, a persistent and astonishing milestone. What did you have to do in order to stay fit and keep playing at a top and elite level for the fair period of time that you played over? Yeah, I think um, as you get older, in, in a lot of sports, you're allowed maybe a bit of leeways in terms of trainings and not turning up to as many when you become a veteran and a bit older. Um, you maybe get a few passes to uh, to not do all the sessions that all the young kids are doing, but um, it was never a choice for me. And I always never wanted anybody to be working harder than me on the court. I think that was one thing I always felt that um, you know. If, um, so we play we play a, a scrimmage, and the penalty would be the losing team has to run a suicide. Well, you know, if my team won. I'd still run the suicide because I didn't want anyone else out there to be doing more work than I was doing. Regardless, you know, the win for myself was the win. But um, anything of training that you could do, I just didn't want anyone to be working harder than me. And I think that mentality sort of, um, you know, kept me fit and kept me out of injuries um, and to be able to keep playing at a, at a good level for, you know, a longer period of time. Um, but it was just, a, yeah, just that mentality of just uh, just doing that extra bit of work. 
On the 29th of July in 2018, you announced your retirement from basketball. What impacted that big decision and how do you know when the time's right to just step away from the game? Yeah, a lot of people say that you just know, people just know. And um, I didn't really believe it. I thought, oh, yeah, well, that's, you know, whatever. It's hard to walk away. I was almost going to maybe pull the pin the year before. My wife said, maybe, you know, just go one more year so you can sort of enjoy it and celebrate it and, um, and have fun with it. Um, which I did. And so um, I was certainly ready. You know, I, I had young kids. Um, I don't know how young they were at the stage, but um, we had a third one on the way. So I've got three boys, young boys now, but um, I certainly had, I had the two of them at the time. And I think Teddy was on his way, um, which wasn't the decision maker, but it was, yeah, it certainly helped the fact that um, you'd get home from, from work and I'd be rushing. Everything would be a rush. I'd be rushing everybody to, you know, um, eat the dinner and to read a book and to brush your teeth and hurry up, hurry up. You know, I'm taping my ankles while I'm reading books and stuff to get out of the house on time to get to training. And I was always late for training by about a minute or two. But yeah, I think it just got to a point where it was just too much. Everything was too rushed and I was pushing everybody a bit too much to do something that I wasn't 100% set on. And so I thought, that's it. It's time to stop. And um, yeah, certainly, I think... Uh, number, but I think I ended up, it might have been 398 or 399 games. Everyone's go, you play more, but no, I was I was well and truly done. Didn't matter how many games I played, I was well <laughs> and truly done by then. What would be your advice to any young basketballer who wants to make it into the Seville or the NBL and have a uh, really successful, like long career like yours? I think it's enjoyment, absolutely. It's just enjoying and having a love for the game. Um, you know, working hard and and. Um, you know, listen to coaches, you know, getting some good people around you. But I think if you want to get to that next level, it's, it's hard to, um, to be, you know, a fantastic ball handler, a passer, a shooter, a rebounder, a defender. You know, you, I suppose you've got to pick things that you do really well and do them better than anybody else. And whether that be your you know, defense, because defense will get the opportunities to play. You know, offense, as a coach, um, if you can defend, then coaches will be um, confident to be able to put you into a game and, and the offense will come from there. But um, I think find something that you do really well and, and just keep working at that. Have fun and, uh, and just work harder than anybody else out there um, and, uh, and the rewards will come. What was your pick? What do you do better as a I think uh, I was – so, uh, shooter. So, I – didn't have to, and the older I got, the the less I had to run, which was good. So, yeah. um, from as a scorer, I was predominantly a shooter, you know, from um, three point range. Um, yeah, and, and and defender. I mean, early on to get to the next level in the NBA, once again, I wasn't a great ball handler. I wasn't fantastic working off a of pick and roll. Um, you know, I could come off screens, I could shoot the ball, and I worked my bum off and um, played really hard defense. And that's sort of what I set my mindset on to be able to get to that NBL level. Um, and as I said, I, like I couldn't go there and, and be someone that's going to come off an on-ball screen like that. Just wasn't my game. It wasn't going to get me there. So um, the focus on what I could do um, was was important. But yeah, um, as I said, as I got older, didn't want to run as much. So I'd shoot the ball from further out if I could. Thanks, Nathan, for coming on the Sporting Max podcast. It's been great to have you on. Thanks, Max. It's a pleasure and thank you very much for uh, having me on. Um, and I hope all goes well with you in this uh, crazy lockdown time. You too. Stay tuned, everyone, for some more Sporting Max podcasts. Thanks for listening to Sporting Max. 
Please like this episode and follow us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. This episode was brought to you by Becker's Facilities, your one-stop shop for facility maintenance services.